Children's Church at this time. So because we've been doing the uh, CrossFit theme, the Johnsons saw this at a store and decided that I needed it. So we're wearing it this morning. We are talking about being fit for the cross, the cross making us fit, however it is, but we're talking about spiritual exercises. In the past, people would call these spiritual disciplines, still would. And uh, we began three weeks ago by looking at the first of the spiritual disciplines, which is listening. Listening is the first thing that you have got to learn to do to be able to hear the voice of God. Then we talked two weeks ago about the uh, uh, exercise or the discipline of discernment and discerning. That is being able to tell whether, the, whether what you're hearing is actually from God or it is from another source that may not be honest. Last week we talked about meditating. And ultimately, it is in the word of God that we find what is from the spirit of truth, what is from the spirit of error, but it isn't just study. And so we looked at uh, suak, which is putting things in perspective. We talked about daga, which is muttering, uttering, or repeating. We talked about higayon, which is musically speaking the truth. And we talked about siak, which is study, to contemplate, to wrestle with, to, to sort out. And we talked about how we need all of those um, uh, aspects of... Uh, of those meditations. And so Will pointed out to me afterwards, he goes, Dad, uh, you know, you, you, you said, you said uh, barbells and you were doing this. And he said, no, the barbell takes two hands, the dumbbell does that. And I thought, well, I'm a dumbbell then. I mean, that's how that works. Don't necessarily know what I'm talking about. But I think that helps prove my point that I don't go to the gym and So this week we are going to be talking about the spiritual exercise of praying, of prayer. Prayer is interesting. We get this image of prayer in our minds and what it's supposed to be and what it's supposed to look like, and I'm hoping to kind of blow that up a little bit today and help you understand exactly what it is that you are accomplishing uh, when you are praying. So let's begin. I want to go to Genesis. The first time we see the word, uh, we see the concept of prayer being uttered in the scripture, Genesis chapter 4. So in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, it says, To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So up until this point, it's really interesting because God initiates all the conversations up until this point. We have God uh, walking in the cool of the day addressing Adam and Eve. When Cain slays his brother, God initiates the conversation there. Uh, We see God interacting with them, and it is in this chapter, in this verse, that we see it is at this time people began to call upon the name of the Lord, which is synonymous with prayer. Calling upon the name of the Lord, interacting with the Lord, it's prayer. That's what we're talking about. Now, before you start thinking that, I want to put this in perspective. Um, Adam was 130 years old when he had Seth. Uh, Seth was, uh, they, they, he and Eve came together in order to have a child, not to replace Abel, but because they'd lost a son, they wanted to have a, a son, another son, so they had Seth. Adam was 130. 30 years old. After that, um, Seth had Enosh when he was 105 years old. So we're looking at, if we take this meaning, what it seems to mean, uh, people were not praying for 235 years. They were not interacting with God. But something happened at this time that the people began realizing that they needed to reach out 
to this creator. They needed to reach out to this God. What it is, I don't know. I don't know what it is that changed. Uh, It doesn't tell us, and I'm not going to speculate up here. Uh, But something changed where the people felt the need to begin to call out on the name of the Lord. So when we look at the words call, uh, calling out, we also have the imagery of invoking. So uh, with the word with the word call, uh, we have to understand it within a couple of different contexts. That calling upon something means to, to, to reach out to, or it means to invoke. Uh, and so invoking means claiming the authority of something as your own, uh, stepping out. So when we pray and we say in the name of Jesus, what we are doing, that's an invocation. We are invoking the name of Jesus and saying that it's because of him that we have the authority to come into the presence of God. It is because of him and his name that we have the authority to even talk to God. So that's, there's invoking and calling, and we're going to kind of look at this. Most of us, though, when we think of prayer, we think of this systematic, codified, there's a certain way to do it. And, and it comes, it's because as parents, when you try to teach your kids, how do you, how do you teach them? Fold your hands, close your eyes, and bow your head. And, and we don't realize that we are, we are codifying, we, we are structuring prayer. And prayer really isn't structured. Now, in Luke 11, 1, uh, in, in chapter 11, verse 1, It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He wasn't asking what it is we need to pray. They're asking how. How do we pray? Because there was this concept that because because prayer is, is so connected with the invoking aspect, right, where I am coming and because I'm using the name of Jesus or because I'm using God's name, whatever it is, that somehow that's given me access. It's almost like a magic thing to where, where I, I pray. If I pray the right way, then God's going to listen to me more than someone else. And so, uh, I mean, the Jews, they had a ton of different ways that they were supposed to pray. Even today, you'll have them traveling to the Wailing Wall where they go and they pray and they think that because of, because of the posture they take there, because of the place it is, that somehow it makes a, a big difference. But really, prayer, I want us to focus not on the invoking side, which is the authority, but on the calling on side, the calling. What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? Or better yet, what does it mean to call? What what does that phrase even mean? Here they are, the people are starting to step out and they're starting to to pray. It says in Genesis 4, they are calling upon the name of the Lord. So what does it mean to call? Most people, if you ask us, uh, my generation and down probably does not understand the concept of calling outside of the telephone. This is the thing that I call on. This is, this is it. Calling is relegated to this. If I don't have this in my hand, I can't call anybody. But that isn't really the case. Um, calling actually means, uh, we'll put this up on the screen, calling is seeking to verbally connect. Calling is seeking to verbally connect. And that doesn't require a phone. So John the Baptist, when he was out in the wilderness, it says John the Baptist was out there. He was the voice of one calling out in the wilderness. He was out there calling out and trying to attract the attention, trying to connect with the people. We see uh, uh, in other places um, uh, this concept of calling out, being connecting. Uh, 
not this week, the prior week, my kids and I, we were out doing yard work, and, and uh, I moved the ladder, and I hear this squealing noise down in the bushes. And it will be just this loud squeal. And there's a little baby rabbit down there. Now, baby rabbit equals I've got to chase it, right? The kids, so the kids are all after it. Bella has, a, has a, a, not a Tupperware, but she's got one of those totes. That's right, totes. She's out there with the tote, and she's trying to run and catch it because I guess we need more rabbits. Trying to catch it, and it is squealing the whole time. I mean, it, it's at the top of its lungs. And I say to the kids, I say, leave it alone. It's calling for its mother. What's it trying to do? It is vocally trying to connect or reconnect with its mother. It's asking for help. It's, 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 it's reaching out to its mother. Um, used to, long before phone calls, well, we, this, is what a lot, this is what most people don't realize. This is where call comes from uh, when we talk about the phone. Calling someone meant that you stopped by their house. If you called someone or called on someone, that meant that you stopped by and you interacted with them, you talked with them, you chatted with them. It was a way of building relationship. When the phone came around, it was basically a way that I can call on you without leaving my house. That's the difference. And now I don't even have to be at my house to call on you. I can call on you from anywhere at any time. So this concept of calling just simply means connecting. So there are two of us in here who have the name Nathan right now, I think, unless there's a visitor with Nathan, and I apologize. You'll ask someone, what is your name? Or you may say, what are you called? What do they call you? The idea there being the name is what you, it's your verbal representation. What I mean by that is this. If uh, someone stands up and says, hey, Nathan, there are only going to be two of us in the room who are going to turn our heads and answer yes. No one else is going to because your name isn't Nathan. Hearing your name, having that verbally said, instantly connects you with the person that you are that is speaking your name. Okay? Calling is vocal connection. So if calling is vocal connection, then prayer really is just simply this. And it is this simple. As the people begin to call upon the Lord, they begin to pray. Prayer is seeking to vocally connect with God. That's all it is. It is seeking to connect with God in a vocal way. And that's the simplest way to understand it. Now, this is going to get weird. That doesn't mean with words. It can include words. But it doesn't have to include words. This is where it gets, it's even simpler than saying things to him. It is vocal connection. Let me show you. We go into Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Uh, Paul there writes, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever found yourself in prayer? I have many times and run out of words. There's nothing more to say, but there's more still on my heart. There's still a burden. There's still a struggle. It says right here that the Spirit himself will come in, and when we don't have the words to say, he will groan on our behalf. But it doesn't just say that in chapter 8. Go and read this later. It says we, Paul says we groan. 
And then he says, you know what? Not only does the spirit within us groan, not only do we groan, but all of creation is groaning out to God. It's all crying out, wanting to be changed and transformed. That rabbit doesn't have to use words to call out to its mom. We don't even have to have words to pray. God is looking for us to cry out deeper than words and connect with him. It's a powerful thing to begin to understand. I think that's why Solomon in Ecclesiastes 5.2 says this. He says, do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Let your words be few. Or Jesus says it this way in Matthew 6, 7 to 8. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So now here's the rub. This is, and, and I think this is why so many of us struggle with, with, with actively, consistently praying. If I were to honestly assess, if you were to assess yourselves and ask, why don't we pray more? The reason is, is because I think we don't understand its purpose, and it's because we ultimately see it as futile. Look at what Jesus, I mean, look what he says. Jesus says, God already knows what you're going to ask before you ask it. Then what am I doing? If he already knows what I'm going to ask, what am I going to If God is outside of time, he's in the past, he's in the present, he's in the future. He already knows what I'm going to ask. He knows everything I need. He knows what I, I mean. What is this about? It just seems kind of futile, doesn't it? Why am I asking again? And, and you know what? It almost seems condescending. I've got to be honest. If I, if I were a non-Christian, I would look at it and I'd say, you know, that's kind of condescending. Here God is, and he knows, he knows what it is that I need before I even ask it. He even knows before I know what it is. And God's just sitting there in heaven waiting for me to ask. That's, I don't know. That seems kind of overlording, doesn't it? It's only because we misunderstand exactly what it is that prayer does. So we're, ba- we're, we're boiling it down. Prayer is vocally connecting with God. It is connection. I want that to stick in your head because as we talk about this, I hope that we understand more what prayer is. So prayer connects us with God. That's the first thing. To call upon him means to sit and visit with him, to interact with him, to speak to him and allow him to speak to us. It is to build relationship, and I want you to picture in your mind and try to grasp this thing that we call prayer It's not a symbolic gesture. It is not a a, a figurative connection. Prayer is a literal, real, honest, authentic connection with God. 
a connection that cannot be made outside of prayer. So I think in the beginning, see, God interacted with mankind. He talked with them while they were in the garden. And then sin comes in and separates us from God. And I honestly think it took men and women 200 years to realize what they were missing. We are that stubborn. I think they didn't understand that they were missing the connection with God. And they began to understand what, that something was wrong. They were missing a connection. And so they began to call out upon God, seeking a connection with the creator that had made them. It is a real connection. That sin had separated us. We were spiritually dead. And it is by prayer that we begin to access and connect with God in powerful and real ways. That's why Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, he begins, remember they asked him, teach us how to pray. He was not teaching them a method to access magical powers or to compel God to do what they wanted. He was teaching them what prayer really was and what it means to call upon the Lord. In verse 9, he says, he begins the prayer by saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. calls on the name. In this room, if you say, Nathan, I'm turning. When you go down and you pray and you say, Father in heaven, you're connecting with his name, a real, honest, meaningful connection. The second thing is it does is this. So stick with this connection thing, a real, literal, honest connection. The second thing is this, is that it actually connects this world with his will. It connects this world with his will. See, in the next, in the next verse, in Matthew 6, 10, Jesus says, Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now all of a sudden you go in and you see in passages like 1 Timothy 2, 2, where, where Paul tells Timothy to pray for the kings, to pray for those who are in authority over us, to pray for the... And when he says that, he's talking about Nero. Nero, the one who executes Paul, Paul looks at him and says, you know what, that guy you need to pray for. This is a pagan, non-Christian, hateful, incestuous man. And Paul tells Timothy, I want you to pray for him. Why? In Matthew 5.44, Jesus tells us to do what with our enemies? Pray for them. Why? They don't like us. That's why they're they're called enemies for a reason. They don't like us. Praying for them when they're not even looking. What is that doing? What is that accomplishing? Or even for the church where in Matthew 9, 38, Jesus says, uh, tells us to pray to God to raise workers for the harvest. Wait a second. What? There's a harvest out there. There are people that God wants to save. Why does he need me to tell him to raise up his workers? 
None of that makes any sense unless you understand that when you pray for someone else, you are literally, not figuratively, not symbolically, you are literally connecting that person you are praying for with God. Whether they want it or not, you are connecting them to God. They may even hate it, but you are, con- you are connecting them with God. For three years, I ran from God in college. I ran and I did things long forgiven, always regretted. But every night during those three years, I felt God's presence. And I did not appreciate it. No, no, you know what? Let's be honest. I hated it. I would sit there at night, drunk or out of my mind, whatever it was, and I would hate that he was there, that I felt his presence. I would despise him. And I would sit there and say, leave me. Leave me alone. Get out of here. I don't want you anymore. I don't want to feel this way. And he wouldn't leave. Oh, I got so mad. I get so mad. You know what I did? I went out and I'd sin more the next day. And I did this for three years. I went as deep as I thought I could go without dying. Because I wanted him to leave me alone. But he never left. So years later, I talked to my mom and that comes up. And she tells me that for three years, every night, she prayed that God would hold me in his arms and never let me go, that he would never leave me. I want you to understand, I I don't think, I don't think that I was such a special person that God just hung around while I was, as I'm telling him to leave me alone. I don't think he hung around because I was just that swell of a guy. Because I was not a swell guy. You ask any mom, any of you moms that have had kids that walk away, that turn away, those moms get on their knees and they pray. Sorry, dads, I know it's Father's Day, but I want to tell you, you, we need to catch up. We're not doing enough of this. When she was praying every night. He honored her. She was keeping me connected to the Father. Her prayer connected me, even when I didn't want it, even when I asked him to leave. When I rejected him, the prayer of my mother kept him there with me. When you pray for your enemies, when you pray for people that want nothing to do with us, when we pray for people that want to hurt us, we are connecting them with God. We are putting them in a direct interaction, whether they like it or not. That's why we pray for our enemies. We don't do it just so we feel better about ourselves. Well, I guess I'm... I'm a better person than they are because I'm praying for them. 
No. I'm putting them in connection with God, the only one that can change them, the only one that can transform them, the one that loves them. That's what I'm going to do. Literally putting them in contact with God. Third thing, not figuratively, not symbolically, it literally connects us with God's blessings. Jesus could not say this any clearer. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Philippians 4, 6 tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but bring everything to him, letting your requests be known to him. And James 1, 6 tells us that when we ask, we must not doubt, because the one who doubts should not assume that he will receive anything from God. Prayer connects us with the blessing of God. I can't explain why. Now, see, that's what I can't do. I can't tell you why uh, that, that it's other than God set it up this way. But Jesus teaches, the apostles teaches, the disciples teach, they all demonstrate that in order to access the blessings of God, you have to come to him first. You have to come to him and request. If any of you want, lacks wisdom, ask God who will give generously. Doesn't say wait for God to give it. Ask God who will give it generously. And then he goes on and he says, now which one of you, if you had a son who asked you for a loaf of bread, would give him a serpent? Now come on. What? He, says, he says, if you who are wicked know how to do good things like that, how much more your Father in heaven gives good gifts to those who ask him. Prayer accesses the blessings of God. James 4.2, because I love James. James 4.2. You do not have because you do not ask. You don't have because you don't ask. Can't be any simpler than that. This is why Jesus teaches us in, in verses uh, 11 and 12 of Matthew 6, he says to go to the Father and say, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He's teaching them in prayer is where you are connecting with the blessings of God. If you do not have, it is because you do not ask. Last one. Prayer connects us, again, not symbolically, not figuratively, literally, seriously, and powerfully. It connects us with the Holy Spirit. You may say, well, I've already got the Spirit in me. I get it. That's fantastic. I'm married, and I have a spouse in my house, and I still, well, that was like a Dr. Seuss little there, right? The spouse in my house. So what? So what? What kind of a marriage do we have if we live in the same house, but we have no interaction, we have no discussion, we have no talking, we have no intimacy? Holy Spirit can live inside of you, and you are completely disconnected from him. That is absolutely possible. 
and emptied of his power. Again, Paul warns Timothy, watch out, there's going to be those who, who look righteous. They have a form of righteousness, but they deny its power. They're disconnected from the Spirit. Prayer connects us with the power of the Spirit. In Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus tells us that God empowers the Holy Spirit in those who ask. He empowers the Spirit in those who ask. And then right there, Acts 4, the Holy Spirit's already fallen on these people back in, back in earlier in Acts, uh, just a couple of chapters before, the Spirit has fallen on them. They are, they are sealed in the Spirit, and they begin to come out speaking in tongues, and they're, and they're prophesying, and the people are seeing all this stuff. And, and then the, the leaders, right, the Jewish leaders get really upset, and so they go in, and, and, and they threaten them, and they say, we're going to knock it off, or we're going to start beating you and imprisoning you, and I mean, just threatening them, threatening them with bodily harm, and, and Peter and John come back to the people, and, and everyone's scared, so what do they do? Well, in, in Acts 4, in verse 31, they all get on their knees together, and they pray for boldness. Spirit's in them, but they need to connect with the power that is within them. They have to connect with that, with that spirit. They prayed for boldness. They said, Lord, consider the threats that they've made against us and give your servants boldness to continue to preach your word boldly. And it says that the building they were in shook. He came and gave them exactly what they needed. There is a spirit within you. There is a power within you. There is a force within you. There is a God within you. That prayer connects you to. And so I just say to us this morning, there, let's go back to Genesis 4. Let this be the day that we once again begin to call upon the Lord. I want to leave. We'll have the band come up. And I want you just to consider this passage. 